I am Chris. And I'm Andrew, and welcome to Video Games Cover to Cover, Episode 5. So I got to Chapter 3 this week. We both did. Okay. I feel like I need to emphasize, we both did. <laughs> there is a lot to unpack. Yeah, after Chapter 2 was basically a whole lot of nothing as far as the plot goes, all of a sudden they just threw it all at us at the very end. We really got into the meat of the story, and I don't know about you, but I was definitely not disappointed. No, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Uh, let's open up with the standard, though. So how did it meet your expectations this uh, this week? Honestly, it it did check a lot of my boxes. The brother stuff? Wow. There really wasn't a whole lot of it. I mean, he was still vaguely creepy, but he was like a more acceptable level of creepy. It wasn't nearly as you really have to stop now. I, I feel like it was just more that... He he was he was creepy at points. I think part of it is you know that thing where it's like you know he's creepy, so you just expect him to be. Creepy? Yeah, that's. I was actually going to say the same thing. It feels like if he hadn't already been creepy, I don't know if I would have taken it as creepy as opposed to goofy. Exactly. So I'm actually kind of excited because maybe maybe you were right when you mentioned on a previous episode that. He is uh, just going to kind of taper off and be and be less less taking center stage, so to speak. Yeah, and that's definitely been true because he seems like he's going more and more towards basically making Yuna the leader, even if he still claims he is. Yeah, yeah, because everyone constantly throughout a lot of the story was okay. Yuna, what do we do? Yuna, what's this? And he's kind of like, hey. I'm the leader. Oh, well, okay. As yeah. leader, I'm going to force Yuna to decide. <laughs> so, so what? What sort of did it? Did it meet your expectations? Uh, yeah. I mean, I wasn't entirely sure where this was going to go, and I will say it definitely didn't do. I guess what I thought the predictable things were going to be. It did kind of hit what I was expecting with Logos and Ormi which we'll talk about that when we get to them. But other than the fact that they showed up so many times in such a short period of time, that was very annoying, honestly, fighting them as many times in a row as we did. Yeah, the whole... I, I, I really could have done without the extended syndicate stuff. I don't think it was necessarily bad, but I'm at the point where fighting them is really just an annoyance. Yeah, I mean... I'm definitely overleveled for the stuff we're doing, which means I know for sure you extremely are, since you're ahead of me on level. Unless I somehow caught up with you, and I can't imagine I did. Well, what level are you? Uh, at the end of chapter two, I was 32, I think. Yeah, I'm ahead. Yeah, that's that's what I figured. What level are you? Uh, I think my max is 38 right now. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, here's what I don't get. in the In the guide that we're following... I haven't really gone out of my way to do a lot of grinding like I normally do in games. There are definitely times where I've wanted a specific thing and probably grinded a little bit more than I should have. And by that, I mean, so Psychic is is broken. It, it is yeah. super broken. And I love it. It's immune to all four elements. N not only all four elements... By the end of it, it's immune to everything, except for, like, death. 
death is the only thing that can kill you because the thing that I am about to get is null physical damage. What? So I'm nulling magical damage, nulling physical damage. I get health from every single time that anyone casts a spell on me. It's broken. I can see why they cut it from the original release of the game. Because, holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. I love Psychic. And I, I've had I've had pain focus on Psychic because there isn't really another job that I can think of at the moment that, that really just screams pain to me. Especially after I maxed out Warrior. The one I was going to say, which I will probably do because I'm also doing Psychic with her right now. The one that I'm definitely going to switch her to next is Dark Knight that we just got. Oh, yeah, she gets to be Batman? Of course. I I am definitely as soon as I as soon as I max out Psychic, I am I am going to do that one next. Yeah, cuz that one immediately screamed pain to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what's your current like party of choice in that in that sense? Like what are your class layouts? Like your go-to? Obviously, you know, we all switch around. But. Well, I am believe it or not, still have not mastered thief wow that is pretty amazing because i have mastered thief now yeah i still haven't mastered thief at least i don't think i did the last one is the last one takes like 160 i'm pretty sure will or something i'm pretty sure i mastered thief and have been wasting riku's (laughs) i'm sorry to be the one to break the bad news to you oh no i oh I'm pretty sure I mastered it a while ago, but I was so focused on how broken psychic. Oh, I mean, now don't get me wrong. Thief takes a really long time, but yeah, I'm sorry, man. You might have. Okay. So not that that's been slowing you down any. So moving aside from that, what do you think you're going to do? I don't know. I'm having an existential crisis over here because I just wasted almost all of chapter two's AP for Reek. Oh. I don't know if I'm going to be able to come back from this. Do you have any idea what this does to me as someone who likes to min-max everything? How did I not? I don't know, because I actually find myself checking the ability screen all the time, trying to make sure that I'm optimizing that. I do, but I was so focused on the fact that I hadn't mastered it yet. I did spend a ton of time on Psychic, so, so maybe, maybe, just maybe. She she didn't master it, and, and that is my hope. Because when when as soon as we're done here, because it's all I can think about now, I am gonna go check. We may have to pause the, pause and, the recording briefly so Chris can can calm himself down. <laughs> I need I need to check. Oh God, did I just waste everything, Andrew? This is this is. We're we're oh. What do you mean, Joy-Con detached? It's right there. Come on! Come on, Square. You can do this. Load faster. Do this, Square. (laughs) I think we almost have to leave this part in now. (laughs) You can do this. Come on, come on. Oh, no! And with that, Chris's entire existence has been shattered. I don't know how much time I wasted... With Riku still being a thief, but I can tell you, it's a lot. I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh. It's a little funny, but I feel bad. <laughs> well, Yuna is an alchemist, and Pain is a psychic, and Riku is a, is a thief. 
I have Riku as my alchemist, and I actually have uh, Yuna doing Black Mage right now because I hadn't quite finished it yet. Oh, typecasting Riku, Andrew? Come on. I wanted to heal her, and Yuna's busy being a Black Mage with the, the half MP accessory, which is amazing. You haven't maxed Black Mage yet? No, I thought I had, but apparently I only got through, I didn't get through the Aga spells, so I'm doing that now. Yeah, I, I actually maxed Black Mage and White Mage, and that's why I'm having her work on Alchemist, because she's kind of she's kind of my healer and OP yeah. magician right now. Oh yeah, and honestly, Alchemist is amazing. Just two high potions and everybody's at full health. I love Alchemist. Yeah, I haven't actually unlocked any of the potions that you can throw. Oh, yeah, I don't need that, but if you just do mix and mix two high potions, it's literally a mega potion. It's amazing. Got it. Yeah, I haven't, full disclosure, I haven't really looked at what all alchemists can do. I've basically just been maxing it out. I, I haven't looked at it. I was just immediately like, uh, I think I was fighting Bahamut or something and went, high potion, high potion. Hey, it healed everyone. Because I, I was like, there's got to be something that basically mimics an Albed potion from the first game. And that's what it is. I wonder if Albed potions will show. Maybe that's something you can get in, in Bachnell. We just haven't. I haven't done any digging there because the strategy guide kind of says, do not do this. Yeah, there's a boss that's determined by, or that it gets stronger as you do more digs, basically. Which is honestly, that's cool. I almost wish that I hadn't known about that because that's a really cool mechanic to basically have a mini game throughout the whole game that affects an actual boss later. It, it sucks that it doing the boss in a specific way because you have to kill it twice in order to actually get the 2%, like the 0.2% that you need for the completion. But if you're not trying to complete the game, doing that over and over and trying to fight a harder boss is kind of interesting. Like, it, it's, it's, it's really cool that there's something like that where you do something enough times and... Maybe you spend all your time out there trying to get the Albed primers at the beginning of the game. So this boss later on in chapter five is super hard because they were able to make more progress on their experiment or whatever it is that they're actually doing. Yeah, I think they're just trying to build like old Machina again. That's one of the things I've honestly found more interesting about Ten Two compared to some of the other games is how much it really does feel like it makes a difference what you decide to do compared to other games because a lot of games it's inherently a limit of video games as a medium you can only do so much variance since you have to pre-program everything and you know it'll never have the flexibility of Dungeons and Dragons or other full tabletop systems but I really do appreciate the way 10-2 does feel like you can directly see a path from oh this happened because of something I did in a way that isn't necessarily true in a lot of games I both like it and dislike it. And the only reason why I dislike it is because they're side quests and because it's not something that you're doing on from a main story perspective in, in a lot of cases. There's just so much content that you can completely miss out on just because you didn't know it was there. And on the, on the one hand, that's awesome because just like in a D&D game or something, when there's world building and there's stuff going on in the world outside of just whatever it happens to be that you're doing, I love that. 
It's like when you find out that this whole side thing was going on. Sometimes games will do that with a sequel where they'll have, oh, this main story was going on, but this was also happening in in the background. And it's like sometimes things are setting stuff up for other things. Well, I don't know if game Do games do that? Uh, sometimes. Like the, the, the first example that comes to mind when you say that is... Uh, some of the Lord of the Rings games like to do that because if they don't directly make you the actual fellowship, they like to basically make you people who are setting things up for the fellowship. Okay, yeah, that that that's what I was getting at. A lot of times when you have a game that's based on a movie, they won't have the main characters because sometimes the likenesses can't. Yeah, they can't get the rights or whatever, or they're just too expensive. They'll have some random know-nothing character but he or she sets up stuff for the main party. And I I really like that aspect in a game. And I feel like we're getting that because there's there really is so much going on in the world. But at the same time, you have to do it in this chapter. If you don't do everything in each chapter, then you're definitely going to miss out on something later on. And, and that aspect, I... I I, it's not that I don't like it. It's more that there's a disappointment there because if I had been playing this and not using a guide, I feel like I definitely would have missed out on things because a lot of times the person that you need to talk to to start the quest isn't obvious because it is a side quest. And I know that part of that is they worked hard on the game and they want you to talk to every single individual person. But, you know... As gamers do, sometimes you just don't have time for that, especially when you're excited about the story, which in this case I am. I am like, let's do this. Let's let's keep going. Let's let's see more. <laughs> see more. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, I, I agree. One thing that is very annoying about it is how difficult it is to 100% the game, which... 100%ing the game wouldn't even be a problem, except for the fact that you have to 100% the game to get the good ending. And that is annoying in the sense that it's so easy to miss something. But I do really like the fact that compared to, honestly, compared to almost every other RPG, in this, it really does feel like the world kind of exists separate from you. Because like in, in 10, everything basically depends on the party showing up and doing something, whereas... In 10-2, things will still happen even if you'd ever get around to going there. Not necessarily, though, because some things just don't happen if you didn't even, or if you didn't do it. Yes, but I'm thinking about things like the the, the, the new Yevon versus Youth League conflict feels like it would be happening regardless of anything you do, whereas nothing in 10, like, everything basically depends on you doing the pilgrimage in terms of, I mean, yes, in the sense of the plot, but like, it doesn't seem like anybody has a problem before you get there, whereas it definitely does in 10-2. 10 is very linear. 10-2 is sort of not. It's honestly almost maybe too nonlinear, if anything. It reminds me a lot of like the design uh, philosophy of like the Bioware games, where, oh, hey, here's all these different areas, and you can do them in whatever order you want, which is really unusual for a JRPG. That's a very, very rare in Japanese games, in my experience, like Dark Souls, maybe, but that's about it. It's almost like an open world game, but slated on a linear map. And you yeah. can, because you have the airship, you can jump around and go wherever you want, whenever you want. 
Yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it, actually. It, that, that's very, very accurate, I think. So let's get into the into the meat and potatoes of of the uh, uh, of all the story stuff we we went through. The the first thing I had on my list was so Makalania. Now that the faith are gone, the whole forest and all of its inhabitants are just gonna die. Yeah, and one thing that immediately occurred to me about that is the Guado just moved there. Did they know that was happening when they moved there? Because they, it's been well established that the Guado have sort of a connection to, like, the Far Plane and some other, like, a more mystical connection than the other races in Spira. And it seems strange that they wouldn't be aware of this. You can't even visit the Far Plane right now because the Guado aren't there, and they're the only ones that know how to stabilize it. Yeah. Which is a shame because, well, it's not a shame, but they... Ha- Obviously, they had to do something about that to prevent Yuna from basically walking in and going, Hey, Titus, is that you? <laughs> you, you, you have to determine if, it's, if, if there's really a Titus there or not. Because you know you would definitely go immediately. They're oh, like, yeah, absolutely. So, so when they were doing 10-2, they were sitting there thinking, Oh, man, how are we going to... We kind of left this huge plot hole of you can just go see your dead relatives whenever you want. How are we gonna close that gap? <laughs> oh, well, it's, it's closed for repairs, essentially. Well, the Guado, you know, did some bad stuff, so they gotta go into hiding, and Guado Salam's just messed up. Eh, whatever. <laughs> sure, good good enough. Yeah, but that works. You need to get through Guado Salam to get to the Thunder Plains. Because we're working with a linear map. Fine. Airship. Throw this throw the syndicate in there, give them an airship, and I don't know, the the, the far plane's just messed up. Just figure it out. <laughs> it's like we're really there in the board meeting. <laughs> the one thing that I wanted to point out is so after you find out the whole butterfly mission is complete, immediately after you complete the mission, they're like, Hey, so yeah. All of us are going to die. And then it comes up and goes, mission complete. It's like this super happy music. All I was doing was sitting there thinking, all of these people just told us they were going to die. Congratulations. What? Congratulations, Gall Wings. Your reward for this mission is depression. <laughs> hey, good job, guys. We're all going to die. Oh, yeah. Awesome! It's like everybody freeze frames with like the the hand up. <laughs> yeah. So Makalania Woods is dying, and we already saw that like Lake Makalania, the temple in Lake Makalania collapsed because that was what caused Awaka's whole situation. So clearly, what this is establishing is that the faith did more than ten let on, or I don't know whether it was that. The church didn't know, which is, I, I actually could buy that in this case, that they honestly didn't know what the faith did beyond providing aeons, or they just didn't bother to tell anybody, which I could also buy because as the series has extremely well established, they're all jerks. But do we know the the faith obviously did it, but were they consciously doing this or was Makalania Forest just a byproduct of the faith being there. So my theory is kind of a byproduct. So what I was thinking about when I was going through that section is 
are the faith the reason Spira has magic at all? Because when you look at Xanarkand, both in the beginning of 10, where you're running around in, as Titus in the city, and in what we've seen of ancient Xanarkand in the spheres, it's really just a really high-tech city like that wouldn't be out of place in 2019 Earth, honestly. I mean, granted, we don't see that much of it, but nothing about it seems magical. It's just high-tech. So the Faith, who are providing these Aeons and stuff, are they just providing magic in general? Because it all kind of comes out of the same place, potentially. I kind of disagree on two parts. The first part I would say is that the Faith are gone and magic is still a thing. But it seems like it's fading because that's why Makalania is dying. But Makalania dying could just be a byproduct of the faith doing their faithy things is not there anymore because there was this strange, weird blue light coming out of the faith for the longest time. And they were just this Makalania forest has all of this. It kind of reminds me of like a, just a massive amount of magical energy is caused all of this crazy growth or whatever to happen. But the other thing I, I, the other point I wanted to make was in order for the faith to exist at all, I would think would require some sort of magical essence. Because where did the faith get the magic if magic is coming from the faith? Because the faith are just a bunch of people who are dreaming essentially forever to create this massive Xanarkin world that is from the past. So how do they even have the ability to do that if they were the ones that the magic was coming from? Well, so where it's coming from is maybe not the right way to look at it. So I don't know. I know you never really played much of the Dragon Age games, but there's a concept here I want to talk about very briefly. It's not going to be a huge spoiler or whatever, but in Dragon Age... Magic comes from the Fade, which is literally where you go when you dream. And that's what mages do in the Dragon Age universe, is basically pull power from the dream world and use that for magic. And that's what I was thinking about the whole time while I was thinking about this is, I mean, we established that the dream world is real enough that Titus can leave it and go out and walk around in the real world of Spira, so the idea that the dream world could or that this dream world can interact with reality is clearly established. But so is that just a product of there being magic in the world in general? Because how could the faith even I just have trouble with the concept of cuz if the dream is suddenly cuz Titus disappeared immediately. So if Makalania is dying, that just implies that it's not getting enough of whatever it got from the faith. I would also have to assume that magic in the world, almost like Titus, would immediately cease if that was the case. Almost as if the dream just ends. Just like with the Aeons, the Aeons disappeared immediately because the dream stopped. Titus disappeared almost immediately when the dream stopped. Assuming that he is connected to that dream in some way. But... As you already mentioned, Bahamut, we fought him. We fought Dark Bahamut. So something is going on because the Aeons, at least one of them, still exist in some capacity. So if that's not from the Faith, 
or something else is keeping it around, then that would suggest to me that Faith were just, the dream could occur because magic already existed in the world. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, uh, this definitely isn't a conversation we could solve one way or the other with what we know now, but it is definitely something I am looking to get more out of. Honestly, the further we go and the more these sorts of questions come up, the more I'm becoming interested in the actual concept of the sphere hunting and learning more about the history of Spira because like I have a lot of questions about how the world actually works. Well, that's too bad because we're not sphere hunters anymore. But yes, now we're the friendly neighborhood Gullwings. <laughs> yeah. But we're getting ahead of ourselves on that one. So the whole focus of this section essentially was dealing with the syndicate and trying to get our sphere back. No, no, no. Okay. Clasco first. Okay, yeah, you're right. I thought I didn't like Clasco, but you were just going to skip over him completely. Okay, we'll talk about Clasco then. <laughs> since, you, since you rushed his defense, talk about it. <laughs> so, Clasco finally got his day. One of the first things you do when you enter Comland is, uh, for that first time, after... You you save the girl from uh, you save the girl and the chocobo from the chocobo eaters. It, you, the comlands actually becomes a hot spot after that. You go to the comlands, and the second you land, there's this funny video of Clasco just frantically sprinting right to the the outcropping or whatever where, it is. where the arena was in ten. Which I'd like to mention. Is there just some entire subplot where Clasco sees this old man inside the cave creating horrors and just, like, knocks him out, locks him in a cage, and just leaves him there, and then calls on you guys to hey, uh, there's a whole bunch of weird stuff in here. Can you come clear it out for me? <laughs> I gotta, I gotta use this for my, or for, <laughs> I gotta use this for my Clasco stuff. I got I got to use this for all my chocobo stuff. Could you just kind of deal with all that? That's true. I didn't even think about that, but that does make the most sense that it's literally the remnants of the old guy's stuff from the arena that we were fighting in there. It I honestly did not occur to me, but that's totally got to be what it is. And it doesn't mention what where this old guy is. It's just like he's gone wherever that old man is. I hope that he's doing okay. So once did you, you actually catch a chocobo? I did actually, yes. After I finished doing that, once that's done, Clasco gives you a bunch of greens, which, as with every Final Fantasy game, are used for chocobo catching. And yes, I did manage to catch one. It's really quite annoying because they were—I was running into them all the time, like in the calm lands when I was getting ready. And then as soon as chocobo catching became available, all of a sudden I had so much trouble finding one. I can tell you what's a really frustrating mechanic about the chocobos. So you can give them greens, and that's how you catch them. They're still considered an enemy until the end of the match. So I fought a chocobo. One of the enemies that I happened to be fighting it with oversold. So during the battle, I the first thing I did was give the chocobo greens, and then I started attacking this oversold creature. And... Just like with all things, when a creature dies, they just move on to the next target. So I had, because it was oversold, I had Pain do a powerful move and 
Riku attacked the oversold thing, it died, and Pain's attack immediately goes off, hits the chocobo, and it dies. I killed a couple chocobos by accident as well, and just to add insult to injury, they literally give you zero EXP. Why on earth wouldn't the chocobos, just after you give them greens, be considered a temporary party member? So that way the battle would just end. That doesn't make any sense at all. That's such... I, I guess it's just trying to get you to be careful or whatever, but yes, it is definitely on the annoying side. But when you're not turn-based, and when you have this active battle system, and to the game's credit, when something dies, even if you were selected on something else, it just moves on to the next thing. But because a chocobo is not considered a party member, you just immediately blast the chocobo and it's dead. And now you've lost the greens. And like you said, you get nothing out of it. It's just, it's incredibly frustrating. Speaking of Oversoul, while we're on that subject, I just want to say, I find the concept of Oversoul interesting. And I know we've talked about it in previous episodes, but one thing I was not ready for, some of the Oversold enemies are harder than like the actual bosses of the game. Like, and I bring this up because this happened in the section where you're clearing out the arena for Glasgow. I got an oversold enemy that I genuinely could not beat and tried several times. Now, Chris and I talked about it later, and there were some things I could have done, probably, that would have done it because he was able to beat that same enemy oversold. Yeah, I, I specifically went out of my way to make sure that it would oversold so I could fight it oversold because I figured if it was that strong... Usually the stronger oversold versions of normal enemies have a lot of good items. Ended up getting uh, five ether from it. So I was pretty happy about that. But what you forgot is it's not a boss, so you can silence. Yes, and I understand that. But I guess what I'm saying is it's just kind of surprising to me that suddenly a random encounter is going to be that like crushingly difficult when... I can breeze through the actual bosses of the game. So, but it, but it's not because there are regular enemies, even not oversold, that are crushingly difficult. I still can't beat that gel. Yeah, that's true. I can't beat that gel at all either. So the, that's fair because it does it. It's its attacks are so annoying because realistically, I probably could beat it if I actually prepared for it. Because what it does is. Every single attack, it does all HP but one. And then it will do some sort of magic thing, maybe. But once I have null physical with psychic, that battle's going to be so easy. I'm going to breeze through it. That's I, true. Yeah, just make everybody psychic, and then you can just like sleep through that fight, essentially. Yeah, I, I that, that that's exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> because now I just want to destroy it out of out of anger. So, yeah, I found that frustrating because I tried several times and eventually wound up having to go out and look up how the oversoul mechanics actually work and discovered that it affects everybody with or all monsters within the same essentially monster type. So I specifically had to go out and find an easier version of that monster and get into a fight with it so I could kill the oversold version of that and come back. And I have to admit that was probably the most annoying thing that I've had to do in this game that isn't like some random mini game. That's actually like a core mechanical thing. I actually, to me, I enjoy the challenge. When, when I come across something that I can't beat, like the gel, 
I will sit around and stew on it until I can come up with a way to actually beat it. And like that, when you said that you were having a lot of problems with it, I was like, it, it, it wasn't so much, well, Andrew couldn't do it, so I'm going to see if I can. It was more of, that sounds like an interesting challenge, and I want to I want to overcome it. And with the with the bosses, I don't have to do that at all. I breeze through absolutely everything. And when I come across something that I legitimately can't beat, I I spend more time figuring out how I can actually do it. And that's not just, oh, well, I'm going to grind a bunch. It's let me look at my abilities and let me see what I think would be good against this creature. I openly admit silence didn't occur to me at all because in most RPGs, and Final Fantasy is no exception most of the time, status effects are pretty worthless. Now, to the game's credit, 10 did a much better job of that, so I probably should not have... So I probably should have assumed that 10-2 would be similar because status effects in 10 could be a really big deal. But I just am still in the mindset that that's not really necessary the way it is in most RPGs. And that's on me. So I think we can skip right over the monkey love doctor mission. Yeah, uh, (laughs) very briefly. uh, That was weird. It sure was. <laughs> you have to. Hey, there are these monkeys here. Let's let's pair them all up so that way there's just going to be tons and tons of monkeys next time we go to Xanarkin. Um Yeah, that was. You could be like really hurting the ecosystem here. Everything about that was strange. From it was extremely annoying because you have to run back and forth through the ruins like a lot to drop them all off because you have to do them in a specific order, which makes it extra annoying. And I kind of feel like Riku was only doing it just because she was so mad at at her father. And that is pretty funny to think about. Just imagining her like grumbling the whole time. Stupid dad. <laughs> Which, she's she's just going around and she's like, I'm gonna get all these monkeys together. They're gonna they're gonna love each other, and there's gonna be tons and tons of monkeys, and he's gonna have to leave. It is actually really fun. Like, it's retroactively pretty entertaining to think about that now that you're mentioning it, like imagining her doing it with that she, mindset. She's stomping through the, the the ruins, just like grumbling to herself and then picking up a monkey and being like, here, you love this one. <laughs> this is yours. This is your monkey now. Your, your summer? Okay. Uh, winter. Yeah, that, that is really funny to think about, though. I really like that now. I'm going to be imagining that one when I think about that scene. Other than that, though, that was very dumb, and I did I did not like that part at all. So I agree. Let's move on from that. Now that we now that you've given us that great image, I don't think there's anything else we could add to that. So Mount Gagazet, wow! Again, Yuna, uh, per the guide, Yuna is supposed to tell Kamari to stuff it, and Kamari's exact words at the very end is, "Elder who rely on others, not worthy." I completely disagree with that statement. I I think that when you're in a position of, of, of leadership, you need to rely on others because you can't be an expert at everything. If you're in a position of leadership, you should be an expert at leadership. And part of that, in my opinion, is going to other people who have expertise in specific areas 
to get their input because you're not going to be good at everything. Some of the things that you have to tell the Ronzo are, again, horrible. The Ronzo are sitting there going, I am going to attack the Guado. And one of Yuna's responses is, at least half of them this time were... Maybe you should rethink it. I was gonna. I was gonna mention she. It did actually. At least some of them did seem less. Yeah, sure. Do whatever you want, but it's still more than I'm comfortable with. There were some of them with the guy that actually has his lines voiced, other than Kamari Garrick. I think. Yeah, I think that's is right. essentially like I am gonna rain fire down on Guado, and Yuna's response to him is. Um, yeah, go for it. Actually, I thought he was the one where he where she says, but what if the Guado counterattack? And then he says, good, basically. Yes, I want that. Oh, yeah, he is. There there was another one where, um, well, what if the Ronzo aren't strong enough? And they're like, <laughs> not strong enough. It's and, and hopefully, maybe that's one of those things where it just gradually over time. Where in the first chapter, she told them what they needed to hear. In the second chapter, she's slowly maybe putting those seeds of, hey, maybe we should calm down a little bit and think about this a little bit more. If I have one hope, it's that in chapter three, when we go to Mount Gagazette, there is a lot less of the, let's just destroy the Guado. I hope, but I actually... I, I think that's pretty unlikely because when I've been thinking about it, I think what this is is an example of objectively, these are the wrong things to say. And if we were saying the things that we should be saying, if we wanted to de-escalate the situation, there's probably a fight with the Ronzo and the Guado coming in a later chapter that we wouldn't get and therefore we wouldn't get 100%. So it basically is forcing us to do things that are a bad idea in order to see that content. I think that's what's happening here. Maybe. I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but that's what I I suspect. I just really hope that Yuna is not the one that facilitates that. Because if you have to, I'm hoping more that the fight is inevitable. Because it definitely seems like it is. I'm hoping that by Yuna slowly changing some of their minds, I'm hoping that once the fight does happen, there's this sense of, okay, well, maybe we don't really need to do this. And I'm hoping that Yuna had a part of that because otherwise it just Yuna's character in general just is painted real poorly, especially if in order, if the hundred percent fight or whatever is something that is supposed to happen, or I don't really have a good way to explain it, but all I'm trying to say is if Yuna saying these things is the reason why there is a fight. I was I am a lot less on Yuna's side than I was before. I'm okay with the fight being inevitable as long as Yuna was trying to do something to prevent it. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I agree because I don't want to feel like I'm responsible for this big fight. So obviously, yeah, I agree, especially considering that the fight between New Yevon and the Youth League is definitely inevitable because that's clearly where the main plot is going. And there's nothing that could be theoretically even remotely done about that one. Yeah, because it just at this point it's happening and there, there's there's really nothing you can do about it. At least that's what it seems like, which I think is kind of disappointing to me because as influential as Kamari 
is now. As influential as Yuna is, I would hope that there is a way for those two to work together to prevent this from happening altogether. Unfortunately, Kamari really isn't that influential. I mean, he's an elder, but it doesn't seem like anybody actually cares about his opinion. Yeah, and and that's honestly disappointing to me because I really feel like of all the party members, Kamari's really getting it the worst because he finally got respect for like a day. (laughs) Yeah. And then everyone was like, well, he's the elder, but... Uh, you know, he's tired and he's got a lot on his mind. So I don't think he's really as great as it just immediately seems like they're, they kind of threw him under the bus on that one. Yeah. And and I got to be honest. I really don't think Kamari deserved that. No, I mean, he didn't like, we made jokes earlier in in the beginning about how Kamari's kind of like the Zoidberg of the party in 10. And on some level, that's true. I mean, he, is sort of the guy that nobody really wants, at least from a mechanics perspective. Like he, he doesn't bring a lot to the table, but that doesn't make him a bad character. And that doesn't mean he deserves what he's getting story-wise. You're really not making him sound very good. If that was your intent, you did a bad job. I have nothing against Kamari. I just didn't find him very useful in the party. (laughs) I have nothing against the guy. Just screw Kamari. (laughs) No, I wouldn't go that far, but like, (laughs) One thing I did actually want to ask is, where do the Ronzo actually live? Because I know the answer is Mount Gagazette, but there is no sign of life anywhere other than the very base of the mountain. And even that is just a few Ronzo are standing there. Like, there's no buildings or anything that they live in. And you could say, well, they live in the caves, but there doesn't even look like there's any sign of life in the caves. Like, there's no sign of fires or, you know, places where they sleep or anything. And it just feels weird because... Everybody else, you know, there's these actual towns and stuff that you can see. The Guado have their own place, but the They're Ronzo, living in a forest right now. Okay, yes, but they had Guado Salam in the first game. But it's just... The the Albed's home was destroyed. But they still had one. The, the point is more along the lines when I say, where do they live? I mean, literally, like, it doesn't look like they exist. It looks like they were just dropped here. They don't have any signs of having... An existence the way the rest of the spirit does. Listen, Andrew, Mount Gagazette is basically at the end of the game. So I can tell you they probably didn't spend a ton of time going, maybe we should put some houses on this mountain for the Ronzo to live in. I'm just saying it stands out. When I <laughs> when I revisit it and go back to Mount Gagazette every chapter, I'm like, where is your house, Kamari? <laughs> They don't have a house. They're Ronzo. They just stand in the cold. <laughs> yeah, apparently they don't sleep or anything they just, or eat. They just stand there. Yeah, they don't need anything else. Maybe they're like the Gorons from Zelda and they literally eat rocks. But so as we move into the main plot that we were encountering here, we're trying to get back our stuff from LeBlanc and the Syndicate. And the first step of that is going out and stealing Syndicate uniforms. And we get the obligatory swimsuit episode. Yeah. I have to point out, Riku's swimsuit covers more of her than her normal clothes. It's like a one piece that kind of has a hole in the middle for her tummy. Other than that, it's like more more clothes than normal. Where, Where do we see the actual swimsuits? I don't remember that. What? No, I really don't remember that. On Mount Gagazette. For the hot springs? Because we didn't actually get in there. Yes, you do. 
Oh, oh, that's right. They, they say you can go back, but I didn't. It doesn't happen in the initial, and I didn't actually go back. Oh, oh no! Wait, do you have to go back, Andrew? You're gonna have. You're not gonna get a hundred percent. It I, specifically I, says in the guide you have to fall into the hot springs. Oh well, it's a good thing I have a ton of save files then. Oh, oh no! No, I'm so sorry. Well, I know what I'm doing after we finish uh, recording then. Oh no. Well, Man. I'm glad we're talking about it now because you there there's a scene where they're all laughing and playing and dude, I know I can't imagine what you're feeling right now. This is twice in the same game that I'm going to have to go back and redo a bunch of stuff. It's killing me. <laughs> well, so when you get to that spot, it specifically says do not follow the female goons. You have to there's this outcropping that it doesn't really look like anything at all. But if you stand on it, there's this whole scene where Lagos and Ormi come in and kind of yell at the two people who were in the hot springs. And then the three girls fall into the hot springs and they have this whole hot springs party. And they're like, yeah, nobody can see us. But what's really weird about that is there's a bunch of Hypello in the background, like throwing a party. There's like two of them waving their arms. And I'm like, uh-huh. This is real weird. Why are they there? I, I'm I'm struggling here because I'm just like in the midst of a deep depression as I'm realizing how far back I'm going to have to go. Yeah, dude, I, I'm so sorry. Oh, man. Do, do you want to take a minute? No, I'm fine. I'm just like, oh, geez. I don't want to redo this again, especially if I have to go back and do all those mini games. But it's it's okay. Well, you don't have to do a hundred. Well, th no, because that's after that's after all of the. I, I just, it just depends on where exactly all my save files are. Told you to take seven hundred save. I, I have got, several. I just don't know exactly. Where I got they are. sixty. I do not have that many. I have sixty saves that I, I that I filter through. I, I have like seven, I think. I normally do that, but I have sixty because in this game where every single thing is so important that you have to see. In order to get the hundred percent, I have so I have so many, which is interesting because I've been checking my percentage and I swear I've been on track. Oh well. Anyway, I, part of the problem is you might be that specific piece, maybe like point two or something, and where we're at right now, it's forty four percent point six, I think. So yeah. it might still show up as forty four percent, even though you're off by like point two. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so now that we've both had our terrible realizations of the episode. Yours way worse than mine, because that last chapter is is brutal. Having to redo all that story content again, because that was actually really long. It was mostly longer because of the whole ribbon stuff, but I guess back to the syndicate. Like like Andrew was saying, we're, we're stealing the three uniforms. The first one is the whole Hot Springs episode. That, that Andrew missed. The next one is... The the other ones, I think, are just kind of nothing. There yeah. wasn't really a whole lot to them. It was just... Ketchup. Both of them just end with you uh, getting the ultimates for Yuna and Rico. Exactly. Which I haven't looked at those yet, and I'm really excited to see them. Um, But each of those three, which none of them are very long, they're like five-minute walks, basically, at most, ends with a fight with either Logos or Ormi or both. And so that's three fights against the 
recurring boss syndicate in like 15 minutes of game time. And then you get into the syndicate and you have to fight them even more. Yeah, like another like three fights of them just within Guado Salam when you're actually infiltrating the place. It's really absurd, especially because they don't really seem to get any better any of the times. Like, I'm pretty sure their stats are basically the exact same throughout this entire chapter. And it's just, this is so, like, unnecessary to do it this many times. I will have to say there is one part that I'm a little disappointed in. And that's LeBlanc having this huge crush on Nuge. And it's it's disappointing because I have this image of LeBlanc being this powerful force, like the opposite of of Yuna. They are very much comic relief, the the three of them. The the whole time you're doing the syndicate stuff, like a lot of the people are like, we're gonna get the heel. Like she's gonna she she's gonna you know discipline us or whatever. It, honestly, that I don't mind that she has a crush on him. It's just the way that she acts. It, I I was disappointed. See, like it feels really weird for her, and that I don't disagree. But I I thought the stuff they were talking about when they're talking about like you were saying getting the heel or whatever. I thought that was just as weird because that makes her sound like some kind of crazy dominatrix or something, which again does not feel right for her like neither of those feel like they fit the character very well to me yeah especially i i kind of get the idea that they didn't really know what to do with leblanc so they just kind of was like hey here's this because after the whole syndicate stuff she joins your party i will say scandalous that's the part i wanted you to get to the massage okay so what bothered me more than the the massage itself, which is definitely weird, like it's such a strange thing to throw into this game. Although Final Fantasy is no stranger to throwing in weird things, like the, like the swimsuit episode. Yeah, and it definitely feels like another bit of gratuitous fan service in a game that already kind of has that vibe all the way through. But most of the time, it's been a lot less open about it like it's been more tasteful and that felt like it was crossing into a weird line did you get the the good item oh yeah (laughs) absolutely the good item gives you half off spells of course i was getting that oh yeah i've been using i put it on yuna and i've been using it all the time but weirder than the actual massage was just the way everybody was talking about it yeah it was just like one of those things of Hey, are you going to go up there and and perform your duties? Yeah, it's it, like it, wait, it, what? It's it, it it's exactly that sort of like intentional double entendre sleaze where you know that isn't what they actually mean, but they're do, they're doing it and it's so obvious that like they're they're trying to get you to think that's what it's going to be and then even though you know it can't possibly be. But yeah, but, it, which obviously is not a sin that just video games commit like media in general does that a lot where they it's trying to fake you out or whatever, but you we're not 10 years old. We know how this game works. Like we know how this works. It's that's not going to be what you're doing. I want to point out. I was sort of right. It was in Bavel that that sphere, the, the broken one that you watch, which is by far one of the best qualities. They, she specifically says they realized it was in Bavel because then the very next thing is you kind of join forces and, you you immediately go to Bavel. But yeah, I, I was I was pretty happy about that. So it didn't turn out to be in the cave, 
because it turns out we're going to have to deal with Vagna gun way sooner than I thought we were. Maybe not, though, but we'll get to that in a minute. Before we move on to Bavel and the finale of the chapter, let's talk about the other sphere that you get out of the Syndicate, because there's a lot to unpack there. You get another one of the Crimson Spheres that will presumably go to the Den of Woe, and at first it's the exact same recording as the one we were talking about earlier, where we were like, where it's Logos and Ormi talking, and no survivors or whatever, and it's a very ambiguous short scene that we discussed previously, but this time it's a lot longer and it's a lot less ambiguous, and they are not good people. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not really sure what to think about that. It is It heavily implies that they killed all of these people, and more so than that, that recorder during the whole operation of the where where are you guys almost makes it sound like that person was because he, he specifically said in the sphere there are three and their recorder yeah and three plus one is four so yeah he, they specifically call out somebody got away that was recording so whatever they were doing and i'm not sure because there was a third person there too that, and that third person, based on their outfit, that you can only see a little bit of, but it really looked like somebody from Yevon. I don't really know what to think right now, So, it, but I can tell you the first recording that we got was number one, and this one is number two. So there seems to be some sort of order in which these spheres events happened. Yeah, and... Again, number two is literally just everything from one plus more. Not even everything. It's the very end of one. Because one starts off with a lot of nothing. With a oh, lot of true. just bodies. Yeah. And two picks up right where it's like, are you dull? Can you not count? Yeah, that's true. So it, it, it starts like right at the end of one. But so this comes back to something I want to discuss here where, okay, Logos and Army clearly are much worse dudes than the game is letting on at this point because they've been the comic relief villains along with LeBlanc this entire time. But it's, I mean, there's no doubt that it is definitely them in this second sphere. And they definitely come off as just straight up like assassins, basically. So they have to be like the greatest actors. So I'm, I, I'm pretty sure at this point that they're like double agents and are basically doing something with LeBlanc to... Uh, that, that's not really they why they know there. that LeBlanc is on Nuge's side, so maybe they work with New Yevon, like you I, were saying. That's what I was wondering, yeah, if they're not, like, basically there to undercut her, essentially. And it also implies that at some point, we may have to fight them probably for real, where they will almost certainly be way harder. Every time you see them in the game, they're pitiful. But then you see these spheres where it's building them up to be way worse than they actually, than they're portrayed. Yeah, right than they've been presented as the entire game. Every time you've interacted with them, they've just come off as jokes. And given that you kind of make peace with LeBlanc at the end of two, I, I'm guessing we're probably not going to see a whole lot of them in chapter three, and then like four or five, you know, their real selves or whatever are going to come out as part of the plot. I was actually kind of hoping that they would travel with us. Not them, but LeBlanc specifically. Just because I, I, I like LeBlanc. She's interesting. I'll, I, I, I don't know how I feel about her. Uh. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about her as a whole, but 
I like the fact that she's essentially the ying to Yuna's yang. You know who she kind of reminds me of? Gary Oak. <laughs> yes. The the, yeah. ri- the the rival who's like just the right level of annoying without actually coming off as a terrible person where you just want to hate them. Exactly. Because then there are those, just like with the news things, there are those moments where it's like, they are just down to earth. And, and they make for, yeah, a nice, like, grounded, you know, goofy, wacky rival or whatever that, that it's fun. I was actually going to look to see if I could get her as a party member. You know, you get all those SP pods at the end of every single. Oh, you mean like catch her as, yeah. as a monster? That would be awesome. I was wondering if you could catch her as a monster. And I kept going back to Guado Salam to try to catch her. But I kept getting those goons, which is unfortunate. Maybe maybe she's only available in like chapter five or something. I don't know. I'll find out. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look it up because I think that would be funny, um, especially if they had like different dialogue openings f- with her, like being catty with with Yuna or whatever. Yeah. I think that would be funny. Well, I, I, I guess the thing about catching her would be for that to make any logical sense. It would have to be after she's no longer relevant to the plot. Yeah, that's assuming she's still relevant at this point, since she seems more or less a friend. And it seems more or less like you're working together. Yeah, I, it's more like, yeah, friendly rivalry at this point. Yeah. Okay, but that aside, okay, so now we can move on to Pavel. Now that we covered that big thing, but I, I definitely couldn't let that pass by without commenting on it. So so when you get to Pavel, you have all these forced fights with the guards. Did you talk to the two guards in front of the palace? I did not. I did, because I talked to everybody. And it was so funny because all the other guards fought you. Those guards are like, ugh, Yuna, I used to respect you. It's like, oh, okay. You're just going to let me go? I mean, cool. And I talked to the other one and he's like, oh, you Yevon scum. Youth League. (laughs) Or, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You Youth League scum. Um... Okay, well, I guess I'm just going to go in now. See you guys later. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> yeah. See ya. <laughs> did I'm assuming that you didn't talk to any of the any of the proctors or whatever they're called on the inside then? Not on the inside, but I did talk to the one on the outside who was immediately calls for the guards and you get into a fight, which is why I skipped talking to the rest of them. <laughs> oh no. I did, and one of them was said, "Hi Summoner Yuna." There are reports of an intruder. Is this true? <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. Hey, man, I'm really sorry to tell you this, uh, but yeah. I mean, I have definitely <laughs> true. I haven't seen any intruders, so you're probably okay. I don't know what you're talking about, man. Yeah, there's def- you're, you're holding your guns out. And Riku's got her, her blades. Payne's got her giant sword. And then Yuna's like pointing guns at every people, at everyone. And he's like, hi, Summoner Yuna. There are reports of intruders. Yeah, it could be anybody. You're just going to have to keep your eyes out and, ch- and trust no one. Well, anyway, um, see you later. I need to go uh, attack Vagnagun. Wait, what? So there's this giant section after you kind of... The whole area is kind of one giant puzzle. Just like the trial, the Cloisters of Trials in the first game. And I actually thought that was kind of a nice throwback that you actually get to run around in the Cloister of Trials again. Oh, I forgot about that whole part. I was thinking 
I was thinking the giant puzzle where you have to fight the monsters over and over. Okay, that was re- really annoying, actually. You know what was even more annoying about that? You know how you have to fight those bosses and in the guide it says, fight this guy four times. Turns out that's very important. I thought it was just one of those things where you... It had to be you, at you least to, four times. <laughs> yeah, where you have to fight it at least four times or whatever, and for whatever reason, it didn't click with me at the time that every single time you fought one of them, the platform at the bottom moved. Because I fought him a fifth time, and then immediately realized that the platform moved under the first one. So instead of four fights, I had to fight him ten times. Wait, you fought him enough to go all the way back around? I got Ribbon. I was not leaving without it. Wow, that's impressive, sir. I fought him ten times. Which, two of those times he oversold, so it was actually more fun than the other ones. I got him oversold once. The very last fight was an oversold. The one part that sucks more than anything else in this whole area, there are no save points until the very end when you get the final battle yeah it is genuinely pretty rough like i went through most of my items or my potions and stuff anyway just by virtue of getting whittled down from random encounters and stuff because none of the particular enemies were that hard but it just was an endurance fight basically all I did was have Yuna steal MP from everybody and just healed everyone oh, with cure. Oh, oh, me too. I mean, that's that's what I was doing as far as that goes. Actually, part of the reason I used so many uh, items was intentionally to finish buying stuff from Awaka to pay off the debt. Otherwise, I would have done that more. So yeah, that part definitely sucked. But hey, Ribbon, super happy about that. Which is fantastic, and I'm really excited about that. Except I'm going to have to do it again now since we discovered that. Yeah. So did you get the impression that Payne also knows... Barrel-Eye? Oh, yeah, absolutely. She knows everyone, and there's clearly something going on about Pain. I mean, that's obviously been true the whole game, but she knows everybody, and we know nothing about her, and I'm starting to get to the point where I'm getting a little annoyed at the game that they're, they're still not giving us anything. They are giving us stuff in the fact that she apparently knows everybody, because right before this fight with Vegna Gun. He's talking about how news can't be trusted because they're trying to... Essentially, New Yevon just wants to sit on it and do nothing because they're afraid that this thing is essentially going to take Sin's place. And Youth League, they want to essentially destroy it. It seems like both sides genuinely understand how dangerous this thing is. But both sides are approaching the problem completely differently, which implies that maybe New Yevon isn't as bad as I thought. Yeah, because I will definitely say Barrelai came off very reasonable in that conversation compared to like in, in chapter one, we both talked about how it really felt like New Yevon were the bad guys. But they, yeah, I definitely agree. He he came off as much more reasonable this time around. He was very calm and very collected and very matter-of-fact. And, and actually made a decent point. Exactly. Turns out none of that mattered because Vegnagun got away. But Payne was also really concerned and ran off ahead about that. But right before the battle takes place, Payne says... 
or he goes through his whole message and, and is essentially like, I, I have to stop you because I have to prevent anyone from messing with it. And Payne just says, okay, well, I'm moving forward anyway. And his immediate reaction is just pain. And it sounds like there's, to me, it sounded like there was disappointment in his voice. Like, are you kidding me? Really? And it just, I really got the impression that he knows her. And it implies that there is some backstory that all of these people are involved with. Because he even... He even mentions having a conversation with Nuge about leaving Vegnagun alone. Yeah. And we kind of made a comment back before when we talked about Payne knowing everybody about how it implied, like, she had just been in a relationship with all of them. And it definitely seemed like it wanted you to think that because of the way Riku acted. And because def- she definitely acted like somebody who was expecting to get, you know, the hot dish on so uh, her friend's relationship history or something. But the more it goes on and the more people she knows, I'm increasingly convinced that that can't possibly be what is happening here. Which I'm really happy about. I agree. No, I, I, I'm very happy. I did not want it to just be a relationship thing. Like I said, I would love if it turned out they were all guardians or something. Like that would be way more interesting. Which, it doesn't make sense if they were guardians at this point. Especially with as young as they are, with so many guardians. Although that could explain why Nuge is missing a leg. Well, and also, I mean, Yuna had six guardians. Yeah, but that's very... Donna specifically says in the last game that's exceedingly rare. Yeah. I'm just saying it's not unheard of. But no, I know. they. Most people had like two or three at most. I also like that after the battle, he's just gone. They're having this whole conversation and Yuna's reflecting upon herself. And he's just like, well, he's just gone. He just booked it after he, you beat after you beat him up. He's like, I gotta get out of here. He just bolted. He's like, oh well, um, I guess there's nothing I can do. See you later, guys. Bye. <laughs> you beat me. You beat me fair and square. So now it's time for me to leave. Paralyzed, blasting off again. <laughs> Next time, gadget. Next time. <laughs> After fighting Barilai, you you continue on, and there's nothing there. At first, it's just a a big empty room. And then, like Chris mentioned earlier, Bahamut shows up. (laughs) Yeah. And and Yuna tries to... Yuna tries to communicate with Bahamut, especially since they would have had a connection before. So, honestly, what is going on? I don't know. And... I will say one thing, this retro, this does explain the whole Dark Aeon thing from 10. Like, it doesn't explain why they were there, the bonus bosses, but I was at least like, where did this even come from? And now I understand it probably came because by that point, 10-2 was already out, so they had this concept, and they already had the sprite work and stuff. But what that does mean is, does that mean all the other Aeons are going to be back? I'm guessing probably. If the Aeons are back... This really could be Titus. I mean, that's true. Yeah, like, if they can come back, so could he. I still, is it Titus? I still feel like it's not, but that is a very good point. No, I mean, it could be Titus, but is it Titus? Because these are dark aeons. So I'm not saying like, that he's, like, evil Titus, but his personality could be wild. He might not even remember anything that happened, which could explain the whole lens stuff. That's true, but 
having said all that, we do need to make sure to check whether or not he has a goatee in future appearances. <laughs> the number one sign of being possessed by evil. Yeah, but Bahamut doesn't have a goatee that I saw. That's true. I mean, we, we, we're too busy fighting him. We don't know. Maybe he does. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be amazing, though, if they just did all the aeons, even Shiva, and just have a goatee suddenly. They look exactly the same otherwise. Unfortunately, I think Community came out way after Final Fantasy X-2. So you beat up Bahamut, and he disappears, and then, like you were saying, Vagnagun looks like it escaped? Or dug down, because they said there was a new hole that was very, very deep, which makes me think it dug its way down? So I wonder if Bavel... Bavel's way more technologically advanced than we thought. Yeah, but I also wonder how much of that even Yevon necessarily knew about. Obviously, to so at some level they did because uh, Barilai was down there, but that definitely feels like the sort of thing that only the really, really high-ups would have any knowledge of. But it seems like one of the only ways, at least for us anyway, assuming there's no other way to get in there, the way to get down there was where Bahamut used to be. Did yeah, you notice that his... Jump down the hole where the faith w used to be, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's that was gone, and there was a giant hole there. Which, actually, okay, so under the hole, it's really technologically advanced, which means it could be technology that was creating the faith, and then the magic was basically a side effect. Like, it, that doesn't rule out what I was saying earlier. Because, yeah, once you jump in that hole, things get way more advanced suddenly. And then there's this giant Vegna gun thing. Yeah, this ultimate machina. I think... They established it was a machina, and I guess we don't really know what it is, but I'm operating under that assumption until we learn otherwise. And it does make me wonder if Vegnagun is not somehow responsible for why everybody hated the Albed so much. If Vegnagun is a machina, or all machina, why did whoever build this thing make it look super evil? Like, it looks mega bad. Why did Yevon make Sin look super evil? Did Yevon have any control over what Sin actually looked like? I don't know. And Sin kind of just looked like a giant whale. It didn't necessarily. I, look I mean, that's evil. fair. I guess. I guess what I'm wondering here is: is this basically? Are we basically dealing with the Albed equivalent of Yevon? Basically, a guy who did it just because, just to say he could, regardless of the cost to everybody else. I think people just hate the Albed because Albed embrace technology. Well, yes, but. Technology. The only reason embracing technology was bad was because the Church of Yevon said it was bad. Which, but why did they decide it was bad? So, so moreover, if Elbed built this thing, why aren't there any Elbed in Bavel? Did a, a a group of other Spirians? What are they? Spirit. I don't non know. Non Elbed. Yeah. I don't know what the name for them are. Um, but did they just kick them out? So. If we're taking, if we continue this possible train of thought that Vegnagun is somehow connected to why everybody hates Albed, what I'm thinking here is they built this possibly even to try to fight Sin or something, and then it wound up causing even more problems, and that's what made everybody mad. And why basically they decided the technology was bad because look at this devastation that it did. Like it, it didn't help us with Sin at all. It made things worse or whatever. Assuming it, they ever even activated it, because it looked like it was still hooked up to its supports. I mean, that's that's also true. Because how on earth would they even get it back if they did activate it? 
Yeah, that's fair too. I mean, how on earth did it get activated this time either? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we we, we just don't know nearly enough about Vagnagun at all. And so that that is a great segue into what are your expectations going forward? Well, um, now that we're in a new chapter, I like I said, I'm really hoping to learn more about ancient spear and history um, as we're dealing with this. So I guess one thing to note, they did mention that, and this is very intriguing to me, that all of the fiends are free, are like coming out of all the temples. And to me, that's really interesting because my first thought there is all the temples are basically like Bavel and secretly have this thing way under them. And then these fiends are probably all the dead people from those places that have been trapped there for so long and are getting out now. But, and that, that happens like immediately in chapter three at the, in the very opening cutscene because that's right where I stopped. But I, I'm intrigued about that. I really want to know more about the, what's up with these fiends. Although I don't know how far I'm going to get into chapter three this week since I've got to replay so much, but I'm going to work on that most of this weekend to try to make some headway. Other than that, what I'm curious about is where did all of this technology come from? Because it doesn't even feel like regular Machina. It feels like something different. The stuff in Pavel, maybe it's just me and just the way the art, like the, the way that they were designed. But this didn't feel like what we're what I'm used to seeing from Machina. The Machina that we're used to seeing is essentially beat up trash that didn't exist anymore. This Machina reminds me of Xanarkin. That's exactly what I was about to say. This feels like stuff from back when Xanarkin was still around. And I don't know if Albed were even a thing then. Especially since Titus, in his whole dream sequence, he even says, like, an Al what? Yeah, to me, so what I'm starting to think here is what caused this collapse probably caused people to split off into a bunch of things. And Albed were basically the people who wanted to keep the technology alive when other people wanted to abandon it after whatever happened, whether that was when Yevon created sin somehow or, you know, whatever the circumstances were, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Albed are, are basically the people, the, you know, survivors out of that era. Like, cause because it sounds like this cycle of, sin and summoners and 10 years and what have you it sounds like this cycle has been going on and on and on for centuries yeah i, I keep wanting to say it was like a thousand years because i think that's when they established xanarkin was destroyed a thousand years ago they did yes they they said that that xanarkin was destroyed a, th- a thousand years ago so presumably sin happened right around that time that's assuming that Sin was even the one that destroyed Xanarkin. No, but even if it wasn't, it can't have been... I don't think... It, it was definitely sooner to the destruction of that than it was to modern times. Because it's been going on for so long that basically nobody has any records of it ever being any other way, including in things like Spheres. Yeah, that's why people are so insistent. Except, not really, because we have that sphere of Xanarkin. Now, yes, but like as far as the first game was concerned, we never had any record of that. No, but that's why people are finally searching for spheres right. because of they 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 want to know what Spheres history is. And that implies that Xanarkin was not the only major city and not the only one that was incredibly technologically advanced. I honestly think most of I I have a suspicious feeling that everywhere that there's a temple, 
is really that level of technology that's basically powering that stuff. Because even in the first game, it was kind of like, how do all these trials work? Well, it's magic or whatever, but I, I think it wasn't. And I think that's kind of what we're establishing here is it was actually like this. You are te- really stuck on this whole magic thing. In the first game, it's just kind of like, okay, it's magic or whatever. Like, And I'm not even criticizing that. It's just coming back to. The trials worked because of the spheres. But, they were basically just giant puzzles, and when you put a sphere in a specific spot, it would react to the environment in some way. Like, some of the spheres were creating ice. Some of the spheres were creating fire. Yes, no, I, I, I remember that. I'm just thinking in terms of, this comes back to then where do spheres come from, and I think this all comes back to, I think spheres were the technology of that era. And then what we're finding now is basically just relics of that lost civilization. So spheres don't seem to be technical in any sort of way they seem to just be a thing that exists well if they're old enough and nobody knows how to make them from the perspective of modern spira that's what they are but that doesn't mean that they're naturally there as opposed to something somebody created i don't mean that they're naturally there it just seems like i don't think we're gonna find out what spheres actually are but i'd really like to know yeah, the the longer this goes on, the more I keep wondering about that, I guess, is where I'm coming from. And I agree, we're probably never going to find out, but it is definitely something I'm really invested in now. <laughs> so what about you? What are your thoughts going forward? I'm pretty excited going forward, especially based off of a comment that you made. Oh? There may be multiple Vegna guns, because if fiends are coming out of every temple... And there were a bunch of fiends trapped in that temple. Maybe Vegnagun is like the thing that was keeping them in check because they were all afraid of it. And now that it's gone, they're, or now that it's out there, they're freaking out. But if there are multiple Vegnaguns, we may get the one thing that I've wanted this whole time. The Comlands is going to turn into a massive Grand Prix. <laughs> Pain on a motorcycle. Vegna gun doing its thing. Whatever It'll that thing transform is. into a semi or something. I feel like Yuna would be in a like a Honda Civic. <laughs> I kind of feel like that's just like the the down to earth car. I think I think you made that exact same prediction in episode one. <laughs> and Riku is like a fiery Ferrari at this point because of the amount of energy that she's got stored up. And they're all going to have this massive Grand Prix race with Vegnagun. And if they beat Vegnagun, it somehow just deactivates it. Because the only way to stop Vegnagun is to get into a car battle. And a Behemoth is going to turn into Optimus Prime. And Gundams are going to come down That's somehow. Actually, what I was going to say, if we're if, if we're going to have multiple Vagna guns, then I think instead of a Grand Prix, I think you're missing out on the opportunity for a giant robot battle. There was a there was a anime like the Immortal Grand Prix. They had a race, and during the race, you would just fight and destroy each other with giant robots. So like, Amazing. that's what's happening. That whole anime is based on what goes on in Chapter 5 of this game. You track down Vagnagun, and you... I think in Chapter 3 or 4, we're going to track it down. We're going to we're gonna injure it. 
but it's not gonna we're not gonna take it out and it's gonna then transform itself with all these other machinas it's gonna become some sort of a vehicle wait 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 maybe it's gonna be like a voltron thing or like power rangers they're all gonna fuse together and become components of an even bigger vegna gun all the dress spheres that we're gathering are culminating into this moment we're gonna combine all the spheres into three massive spheres that when combined with Yuna, Riku, and Pain, you just become this huge, monstrous robot that then has to fight against Vegnagun in a Grand Prix-style race. Andrew, this game is, is... I don't know why people... I don't know why it didn't get the attention that it did, because this sounds awesome. And I honestly can't wait till chapter five for this to come up. <laughs> you know, if that's what chapter five is like, my opinion of this game is going to shoot up dramatically. Vegnagun and I already is going to shoot missiles out. And we're going to have, then it's going to be like a button smashing mini game where you have to push the right button to, no, to destroy no, the missile. No, no, no. I'm just saying. Do not ruin this for me with your Thunder Plains bull crap. I'm just saying. All right. Well, any other expectations or predictions that you've got going in? Uh, I feel like... I don't think you could possibly top what you just did, but I'm curious. Well, I mean, give me some time and I can come up with some real doozies. Because I have a sneaking suspicion that Clasco is the secret villain of this game. <laughs> oh, do tell. I have to hear this one. Think about everything that you've know that you've gotten up to this point. So you meet Clasco... He's stuck on himself. He's in a depression. He thinks he's a loser. I think Clasco has tried so many things and failed so many times. He jumped into a fight with the Chocobo Eater with two Chocobos. Those Chocobos are gone. Presumably, they were eaten. I mean, what else could we possibly think happened to them? Yeah, that in itself true. is the final failure that put him over the edge. So when he is frantically sprinting across the calm lands, trying to find some meaning in his life, he comes across this poor old man who is just creating abominations in a cave. So Clasco does the sensible thing and removes that old man from the equation. Well, now he's got all these Ultima monsters that he's going to use to essentially get back at the world that has slighted him for being so useless. But we cleared those out. No, no, no. Those, we cleared those out. But the fact that the high road was closed implies that that giant creature was still there and needs to be cleaned up. All those bodies that we left behind are just experiments for Clasco. And he's using this whole chocobo breeding thing as a front. What if he's breeding the chocobos into monstrous super chocobos? He probably is. Oh, for the fight with the Grand Prix. He's, <laughs> what he's trying to do is he's trying to gain control of Vagnagun so he can wipe out all life. Because Clasco sees it as if everything is gone, then no one remembers his numerous failures. Wow, I'm genuinely fascinated by this. Clasco is the villain of this story. He sacrifices Chocobos to the Chocobo Eater, when in reality, 
He could have just thrown a machina at it for a minute and wait for us to get there. Or better yet, we could have just, I don't know, slid down the hill and then attacked it. So maybe what you're saying is he fed the chocobos to the chocobo eater in the hopes that it would make it more powerful and defeat us and get us out of the way. But it didn't, so his plan failed. Yet another failure to add to his pile. And he that is, was the last straw that drove him over the edge. He is the secret villain. He he is the villain of this story. And, I mean, if he isn't, I really don't know where this game is going. <laughs> we, we've got the Grand Prix. We've got Clasco Super Chocobos. I mean... And we've got the ultimate race against Vegnagun to for, like, the high school drag race championship. And, there's, and that's the thing. Vegnagun is just doing its own thing. It just left. It's just trying to live. But... We have, have got it in our minds that we have to stop it from existing, and Clasco wants to control it. So there's three things at work here, and that's three is a common thing with video games. So, you know Vagnagun, what, you're right. Clasco, YRP, Final Battle, Chapter 5, Grand Prix. I'm sold. And on that, there's no possible way we could top that, so I think we're going to have to cut it off here. Because what could, what else could we possibly say? This has been episode five of Video Games Cover to Cover, and we'll see you next time. New episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. But remember, I hate Waka. Waka.